Hi, welcome to the Hold of Email podcast show. And today is an article I found in the paper called The First Remembrance Where Guns Have Been Silent for Two Years As Millions of Brit- Britons Stood to Honour Their Dead at the First Ever Remembrance Day. Halfway through the two minute silence, a widow, still raw with grief, began to sob. By the time the buglers at the newly unveiled cenotaph sounded the last post sixty seconds later, nearly one thousand people were in tears. Tomorrow, exactly a century after the Great War ended, organisers are recreating the extraordinary scenes of the first national service remembrance in London. A year before, there had been a parade, victory parade, past a temporary war memorial made of plywood. But in, in the summer of 1920, the cabinet decided that, that Whitehall would be the heart of the national mourning and the remembrance throughout the British Empire, as well as a permanent senator to the glorious dead. The body of the unidentified British soldier would represent the 887 Dash eight five eight Tommy's killed in the four war year war. His body would be buried in the Westminster Abbey for a grateful nation to mourn its dead. The idea came from Reverend David Welton, MC, a young chaplain who had served with valour on the Western Front on October fourth. King George V gave his consent. In the days before the Amnesties, four teams of an officer and two other ranks set off in secrety to the battlefields of Somme, Elysi, Arias and Neeps. They dug up the remains of four British soldiers killed earlier in the war so they could be so as they would be identifiable. Each body carried in sacking examined by the military headquarters at St. Paul, South of Cullis, before being covered with a Union flag. At just before midnight on November 7th, Brigadier General John White, head of the British forces in France, chose one body, the unknown warrior, would receive the respect and honours given only to Prince's generals and the greatest statesmen. The following day in Boulogne, there were crowds lined in the streets. His body was transformed from a pine box to a coffin, hewn from a hundred-year-old oak that once stood at Hampton Court. Under laden skies of the unknown warrior, past the white cliffs of Dover, rolled HMS Verdun, which sailed in silence in, into the dock. It was the same journey more that, more, that over the four years of war, more than a million tummies wounded in the hell of the Western Front had taken. As, as the train carrying his body and a barrel of soil from a French battlefield thundered through Kent, crowds gathered at every station. At London's Victoria Station, he lay in state overnight before being carried on a gun carriage to Whitehall just before 11am, his coffin covered in a blood-stained battlefield union flag. In ceremony unchanged for 19 years, the monarch and princess 
surrounded by generals and politicians, waited at the cenotaph for Big Ben to strike 11 o'clock on Thursday, November 11, 1920. In a nearby Westminster Abbey, a thousand widows and mothers, all believing the unknown soldier was their husband or son, waited. A Times reporter inside the Abbey wrote, Attention was almost too great. When seconds seemed to halt, people held their breath. These they be heard in the stillness. At last, the woman sobbed and broke down, helped release the tears, which others had difficulty killed trembling in, on their eyelids. Many were weeping at the end of the two minutes. The king, just like the queen, did more than half a century, and now Prince Charles placed the first wreath for the sen- at the Senatoff on behalf of a grateful nation. After a short service at the Senatoff, the unknown warrior's grave was carried to the abbey. A tin helmet, a sidearm, and the king's wreath lay on top. The king, the king with his generals and admirals of the fleet, stood at the grave at the coffin as the coffin was lowered and covered in the earth from the western front. Outside, thousands of people waited to file past the center path. Such were the numbers that it took three, them up to six hours to walk with three quarters of a mile from Trafalgar Square to Westminster Abbey. The outpouring of the great grief saw the centre almost buried in wreaths of many green and white flowers. Poppies were not introduced into the following year. In the four days that followed in 1920, one and a quarter million grieving families filed past the centre, placing an astonishing 100-00 wreaths on a new, new memorial to the glorious dead. They carried on down Whitehall. They were close to tra- they which had been closed to traffic, to pay respects at, at the grave of the unknown warrior. They called it the People's Pilgrimage, and the only out and the, the only outpouring of grief to come near was the de- near was the death of Princess Diana eight decades later. A spokesman of the Department of Digital Culture, Media, and Sport, which is responsible for arranging tomorrow's summary, said. We saw the pictures of the first Amulets in 1920. We wanted to create a people's pilgrimage for today. So the people's procession was born. The descendants of the men and women who served in the Great War would remember them. The British Legion held a ballot and 10,000 people won their place in a mile-long walk which starts on the mall at 12.30pm. They were followed by 9,000 military military veterans of all conflicts who will march past the centre from 11.30am. Those waiting in the mall for people's permission will watch the emphasis on big screens. When a walk gets underway, they'll be able to lay their wreaths just like in 1920. Ian Ian Cunard will be among the 10,000 modern-day participants for Ian 68 of Southampton is a chance to honour the grandfather he never knew. Private Henry Joseph Moody of the 13th Battalion Royal Engineers 
was in the Battle of the Somme in 1916. In the early years of November 15, he was lost on patrol in the fog and his body was never found. In 2012, Ian and his two brothers placed a cross at the spot where he vanished. Tomorrow, he will lay another cross at the Senator. Ian says, I knew nothing about him until 2002 when I was given his medals for an art. I feel so proud of him. English teacher Janine Curry from Cambridge, Kent, and Anise Oliver were walking on the honour of her grandfather, Frederick Edwards. He laid he li- he on to list, and his mother Martha had, had him brought back. He went back two years later, his wounded in the hand. He lived to be 77. Janine says it will be honoured to remember him this Sunday, on Sunday. Thank you.